always fun to see the children because um, you know they're the they're the least reserved in a worship service, right? The children are, and they're a lot of fun. And and some of you, you are like just get like right on the edge, just getting started. I think I know something about you just by watching you. That's great. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter two today. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. And uh, as you see on the screen, we're going to talk about spirit-powered. We started that a few moments ago with our opening scripture and just kind of looking at that and what Jesus promised. Jesus promised that when he went back to heaven, he would send us a helper. He would send us his spirit. And, And he spoke of it that way. He said, when he comes, you know, the person of the spirit, he will be with you. And then he said, he will be in you. And that's just the thing that just blows so many people away. They can't understand exactly what that means. That, that's the thing that, that Abraham was looking for, but never saw it. That's the thing that Moses knew about, but never saw it. That's the thing that David experienced from time to time. So the spirit would come upon him and he would do something. And then, you know, then that would, would go away. And then later the spirit would come upon him again. And he knew about this indwelling spirit, but it wasn't the kind of thing where the spirit just came and stayed with him. And so when you move into the new Testament, this is the, the big, big change. It's that the spirit of God's going to be in you and with you forever. And that's how Jesus is seen in the world. So someone asked me this week about, you know, what actually happens? What makes a person saved? We use that language, right? We say, you know, I'm a saved person. I'm born again. If you want to use Jesus words, you say, I'm born again. So what, what does that mean? How is it different? And, and here's, here's the way it looks. Every person who ever comes into the kingdom of God comes in the same way through Jesus Christ. Everyone. It's faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, If you lived in the time of Moses or you lived in the time of Abraham, you were believing in a Savior who was promised in the future. That's what they were doing. They were trusting that God would provide that Savior. And and, and if you have any doubt about that, I mean, there's a way you can just walk through the Old Testament and read the writings of Moses. you know, Moses and David and all of, of Abraham, and you see what they're doing. They're, Abraham knew there was a descendant to come. That was the promise. And everyone after that was looking for that descendant. Well, then you have Jesus. He's born, he lives, he dies, he rises from the grave. And then you have this unique period of time, 40 days where he's with his disciples and he tells them to wait. And we looked last week at how the Spirit came and filled them all. And from that moment to this moment, every person who believes, every person who trusts in Jesus Christ, they come into the kingdom of God and they receive His Spirit. They receive His Spirit. Now, that may be something that that you go, yeah, that's right, I remember that. Or it may be something that you think, okay, that's what happened. I don't remember that. I don't, I don't remember feeling anything. I don't remember, you know, just waking up the next day and thinking, you know, something's changed in me. I don't remember that. It's not feeling, it's faith. What, what we were promised is the indwelling spirit. And I shared with you last week about how one of my theology professors just kind of built that up and walked us through that experience of, of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So if you, wake, if you woke up today and you didn't feel like you had God's Spirit in you, that's all right. Okay? It's, it's a spirit. It's, not, it's faith. It's not a feeling. What you need to know in your mind is that this is what Jesus promised. It's what he provided for you, and it's, it's what's there, even if you don't feel it. 
So again, it's that indwelling spirit. So when that happened on that day, things went, you know, weird. There were all these people and there were tongues of fire. They began to speak in other languages and all of those things. And it stirred up the city. It stirred up the crowd. And that's where we're reading today. So I'm going to do a couple things. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to try to read it from over here. And just read it straight from this text. But this is what it, what it says. So Peter is kind of the, the leader at the moment. He's the one addressing everyone. He wants to explain what's going on, what's happening. And this is what he says. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. So when people saw that behavior, uh, even though it was, you know, nine in the morning, people said, ah, they're already drunk. That's, that's what these people are. You know, look, Christian people have just been dealing with the reputation thing from the beginning. These, these people are just drunk. He said, no, it's not that. We're not drunk. This is, this is what the prophet spoke of. So he makes this quote. And it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall drink dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Join me for prayer. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for what was spoken even way before Jesus walked this earth about the time that we live in now. And Lord, we know it's all possible because of Jesus. We just want to understand it in a better way and we want it to make a difference in the way we live now. So help us, Lord, think of these things and help us understand. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. All right, so what we just read, I'm only going to focus really on verse 17 and verse 18. Those two are going to be the main things today. I'm not going to go to that next part. But what Joel described is something that happened at Pentecost where the Spirit was poured out on all people. And then he goes all the way through the end of the world. So the church is going to be the primary witness to the world. It is the people filled with God's Spirit. But then toward the end, Joel's talking about something else. Even creation, even nature is going to give a testimony to the end times and to God himself and to what's happening. So, you know, there's all the talk about the blood and the moon and the fire and the smoke and all of those things. We're not going to focus on that today. We're just going to focus on the part that deals with the church and the part that deals with the church and the spirit within. But all of that from Pentecost to the end of the world, that is a, a block of time, if you will, that we will just refer to as the church age. So for us, it started some 2,000 years ago. It's still going on right now. We don't know when it's going to end, but one day it has an end. And we know that because Jesus taught it and because it's taught in other places in the Bible. But you and I live in the best time to ever be alive. We live in the age of the church. 
We live in a time when you can place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have his spirit within, and you can live your life in that way. Prior to Pentecost, that was not the case for the people of faith. But we have it. And so we're really blessed in that way. Now, here's something I want you to think about for all of us. On the day of Pentecost, when all of this gets stirred up and, and Peter begins to talk to the crowd, no one knew what the church was going to look like. No one. No one knew what, what direction this was going to go. This was completely brand new. The Spirit had descended upon the people, filled the people. They began to do some things they had never done before. This was kind of the, the, the launch, if you will, of, of the church in the world. And no one knew what was going to happen next. No one knew where it was going to go next. No one knew you know, the logistics of it or the funding of it or the plan. There were no how-to books. There were no church growth classes to attend. There, there were none of those things. So no one knew it. No one knew it. And one of the fun things about reading the book of Acts is watching kind of the pattern that Jesus gave, watching that pattern work its way out. Because in chapter 1 of Acts, when they said, Are you, is this the time? Is the kingdom coming now? What's it going to look like? Is this it? Jesus said, well, you know, that's not for you to know yet, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the Samaria and the ends of the earth. So it's kind of like an expanding circle. Jerusalem, where they were, Judea is kind of the, the larger region, Samaria, a little further out than that, and then the ends of the world, just as far as you can think. And so the rest of the book of Acts does that. It traces how the gospel and the spirit begins to move, starting there in Jerusalem and spreads out around the world. Uh, a few years ago, Michelle and I had the, the, the opportunity to go to Ireland, and we, we were really on the kind of the west side of Ireland in a place called Glendalough. Beautiful place. If you've ever noticed the picture that's the background on the computer, if you're here and, and the countdown hadn't started yet, there's a picture. It's a cemetery and you can kind of see some mountains in the background, all that stuff. That picture was taken in Glendalough. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, and it's got some lakes there, and it's just an old cemetery there. And there's a church uh, building. It's really just stones in the ground and a few stones for the, the three of the four walls that are left. But it's a church that dates back to the 300s. And, and I just stood there with Michelle and just, just tried to take that in because I was standing in a stone building that dated back to the 300s and it meant that the gospel had come out of Jerusalem and made it all the way to the really the farthest western reaches of Europe in 300 years yeah and they did that without social media or text messaging or interstates or anything you know but the gospel had started in Jerusalem and it, and it just started to move and, and when it turned west into Europe it went all the way across Europe and so much so that 300 years after Pentecost there were people building a church building and I really don't know how old the, the, the building was I just know it dates back to the 300s but that was just amazing to me and the gospel has done everything that Jesus said he wanted to do. The gospel's gone around the world. Now, it doesn't mean we're finished. There are still lots of people who've never heard the story of Jesus. They don't know anything about him. There's still much to do. But I can tell you, there's not really anywhere you'll go in the world where you won't find some believer somewhere if you look. And, and the reason I say that is because one of the most difficult places to be a believer in the world right now is Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. 
I mean, it's against the law, you know. And uh, my mother, before she passed away, worked as a nurse there. And she had an apartment building. And they met in this little apartment where they moved it around, apartment to apartment, every Sunday, the Christian people there. You know, there was a church there. It may be illegal there. It may be illegal to have a Bible. It may not be legal to be a Christian. You may be able to be punished or put in jail if you, if you let it be known that you are actually a Christian. Those things are true in Riyadh, and yet there was still a church there. There were still people there who believed. Maybe not many, but they were there. So the gospel has done that. And, and the only way I can account for that is the power of the Spirit. Because that's not people figuring it out. That's not people just being great at organization. That's not somebody had a lot of money and made it happen. None of those things. That is, that is God's Spirit working generation after generation after generation to do His will. Now I want to tie you into all of that. Because what we are anytime we gather together like this is we're just kind of the latest expression of what God is doing in the world. That he takes his people and he gathers them together. His spirit is within them and they will do his work. And in each church, each group is going to look a little bit different. We're going to do things different. We have a different purpose. And even if we don't always understand what his purpose is, you know, he knows. He knows. So here's what I want you to see today. At that point, no one knew what the church would look like. <clears throat> but they would have at least some characteristics. So what you're looking at here on the screen is, is kind of what we talked about last week. Because when we were talking about you know, what happens with the church, the first steps, the first steps are not always the, the funnest steps. You know, we talked about waiting last week, that you have to wait and not worry. You know, so many of us like to plan, we like to do, we like to know, but we have to wait. He lets us know. And then we realize that our power, the actual power to do anything eternally significant in the world, that comes from heaven. We do have to prepare for everyone to be included. Like the church is not a spectator sport. Yesterday was college football day, right? You don't play college football. I don't play college football. But if, you, you know, if you're a fan, it's a spectator sport. You just watch it. The church is not a spectator sport. Everyone's included. There's something for everyone. You have the same spirit that I have, that Jimmy has, that Julie has, everybody. And through you, God's work will be done. And then the last thing that we talked about last week is how we have to expect different and more. So if you're comfortable where you are, you feel like you got everything just like you like it, I just want to disturb you a little and say, you don't get to stay there. I didn't get to stay there. You don't get to stay there. We're going to do the things God has for us in the world. He'll take us from where we are. He won't leave us there. He'll maybe make us a little uncomfortable, but he will take us where he wants us to be. It'll be different, and it'll be more. It'll be something. I mean, do you think Peter, when it was all kind of done on this day, the day of Pentecost we're reading about, do you think Peter just went home to wherever he was living in Jerusalem that day and said, all right, I'm done? It's just show up every Sunday from here on out, and it's all good? No. Jesus had something else for him. And he does for us today as well. All right, so these are the marks. These are the things that we're looking at from the scripture, really the defining marks of the church. And so first I'm going to give you that one. The defining mark is God's spirit. So when Peter is quoting from Joel, that's his starting point. That God said it, in the last days I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. 
And I know we've been talking about that all morning. I'm just saying it, saying it again in a new way. But if you want to take the church, whatever you think of as the church, and you want to just boil that down to what it really is, that's it. It is a group of people that is empowered by God's Spirit. God's Spirit. It's not anything more than that. You can describe it as more than that, but that's what it is. It's God's Spirit. Second thing, and I'll move quickly through this. The defining means will be sons and daughters. Now, when, when you read that in 2018, you just go, okay, well, that makes sense. In the first century, the son's part made sense, the daughter part didn't. Right? It, it didn't make sense that God would pour out his spirit and do his work through both the sons and the daughters. It should be just the sons. It was almost always just the sons. There was just an exception here and there in the Old Testament where God did anything powerful through a woman. That's not true in the New Testament. It's not true for the day of Pentecost. It said, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. Now, there are a lot of things that Baptists have done really, really well. And there are a few things we need to do better. <laughs> and this is one of this is one of them. Uh, and I know today gender is kind of a big thing, and everybody's talking about you know issues related to gender. But I just want to speak of it in terms of the church. It's as simple as this: the same spirit that God would give to me, He gives to anyone else. And it doesn't matter the gender. It doesn't matter if you're a man or you're a woman. And God empowers people to serve Him. He gives gifts. To people to serve him and and again in the first century that would have been kind of shocking that his spirit would be poured out upon the men and the women on the sons and the daughters but it's something we need to, to to remember today as well because that's part of saying there's no one excluded there's no one left out there there i mean if we tried to limit ministry to just one gender i mean look what we do to ourselves how we leave out what god has put together and what god is doing all right, my wife left the room so I can tell the story, right? It's always funny. I only tell good stuff, right? This is the thing I learned in marriage really early on, that my wife, this is the kind of power your wife has. You know, she can always either help me or hinder me in my walk with God. Always. She can always help me or hinder me. And, and if I'm not doing what I should be, she lets me know. She's good at that, by the way. But there are things about God that I would not know if it were not for my wife. Because she brings, and I'm not talking about her as a person, I'm talking about her as a woman. There's just something about being female. There's just something about her relationship with God, and it's a whole different angle. It's a whole different way of, of seeing and knowing God, and she brings that to me. And there are things about God I would not know otherwise. It's as simple as that. And so when you start talking about what the church is, this is, this is the, the means by which this is going to be done will be both the sons and the daughters. And somehow as a church, we've got to make sure we communicate that well to every generation behind us. You know, we just had a group of, I mean, we got, we've got some, some young people still in here. We just had a, a group of even younger children that went out of here in a little bit. We've got to make sure we communicate 
that. We've got to make sure we teach that to our sons and to our daughters. Everyone has a part and a place in God's kingdom and in his work and in his church. That's the means. And if we cut anybody out on that, if we try to make it a gender thing, and some denominations have done that, and if we try to make it a gender thing, we will be cutting out part of the, 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 met, the means by which God does his work in his church. So when I was in college, Billy Graham's daughter came to speak. She came to speak in our chapel service. And some of the guys that, that I went to school with said, I'm not going to chapel. I said, why not? They said, a woman's going to preach. I said, are you insane? <laughs> Have you ever heard her speak? <laughs> Do you know anything about her other than she's a woman? Is that it? And, and, and nobody had anything other than they were going to allow a woman to stand behind some kind of pulpit and speak in a chapel service. And I just said, you guys are idiots. <laughs> Plus, it's Billy Graham's daughter. That's just rude. But it was way more than just rude. It was the fact that just simply based on gender, some guys made a decision that this was not supposed to happen in a chapel service in a Bible college. It was just wrong. Just wrong. So, if I invite a woman to come and speak in our church, y'all good with it, right? Good. I'm glad you're good with it. I'm not saying I have plans. I don't. I just, I mean, it, but, but I have no reservations whatsoever. Um, you know, if, if God gives a message to you and you need to share that with our church, just come see me because I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's a message that comes from God, then we all need to hear it. And we don't filter it out by saying, well, you know, you can't do that. You're a woman. That, that's wrong. And, and I think the part I want you to see most today is that that's been the message from the beginning of the church. It's actually a message older than the church. God, through the prophet Joel, saying, in these last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit and your sons and your daughters are going to do these things. All right, let me move to the third part. So Mark's in the church, the defining means sons and daughters, and then it takes it a step further. The defining method visions and dreams. Now, really what we're talking about here is a spirit-directed way for us to know what to do. Think of it like think of it like paint on the roads. You know, you got a lot of room, you can go a little bit left, you can go a little bit right, but there is a border over here and there is a border over here. And that's kind of how God directs his church. He he gives visions, he gives dreams to his people, and, and those are spirit-led, and those become really the, the pain on the roads. They become the boundaries for us to know what it is we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go. In other words, there's not a book about this. The only book, if you will, is the Bible. But outside of that, there, there's no book. And, and when you're reading the Bible, reading that book, what do you see? You see people who have God's spirit in them being led by visions and dreams and knowing where to go, what to do, and kind of the direction they should go in. They don't have all the details. They just have some of it. And they go, and that's the way the church grew, and that's the way the church moved. Now, here's, here's the part that I think throws a lot of people off at least pastors and church leaders, okay? If you're, if you're going to say to your church, any group of people, hey, we need to be led by God's Spirit. We don't have a, a procedure manual for this. 
We don't have an order of operations for this. Instead, we need to pray and we need God's spirit to speak to us. And he is going to guide us and direct us in some of these ways. It is spirit led. And that's the direction. If, if that's what you're going to do, you see how you kind of you take a person's control away. You, you take a, a church leader's control away. You take a pastor's control away because you're saying this is not one person's church. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church. He speaks. He leads. Now, I remind you of this, and I'm just going to do it real quick, that one of the most powerful moments in the book of Acts comes in um, that moment when Paul doesn't know where to go, when he doesn't know what to do, when he's just basically saying, um, okay, God, you don't want me to go this direction. I want to go this direction, but you don't want me to go east, so what do you want me to do? And he has a dream, and he dreams about a man from Macedonia, and that man's saying, come over here and help us. Paul wakes up the next day. He tells his, his traveling uh, partners, God, is, God wants us to go to Macedonia, which was to the West. And that literally was a moment that changed the history of the world because the gospel went into Eastern Europe. The gospel began to move West, and it did not go East at that moment. And that truly changed the world. Any of you have ever sat through a Western civilization class? You know you can't study Western civilization without studying the development of Christianity. You cannot because it is influential uh, in, in that way from the very beginning. And that goes back to a man named Paul having a dream one night about whether to go east or west. Again, isn't that what Joel said? Joel said, that's what's going to happen. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And they will have visions and dreams. All right, let me get you to the last one, okay? This is the defining, defining motive. So if you really want to dig underneath all of this, this is what God is saying to us. The defining motive. Motivation, motive under all of it is prophecy. And when I say prophecy, I don't mean like speaking and telling people the future. I don't mean fortune telling. I mean prophecy as in speaking for God, which is one of the scariest things that if you really think about it, you can probably imagine. Because what a responsibility it is for you to be the spokesperson for the Almighty. For you to be the one who is the representative to have heard something from the creator of all things and to be the spokesperson to bring that message, that word to the world you live in, to the people near you, to whatever your community is. That's it. But that, that's the motive behind the whole thing. It's prophecy. And again, not fortune telling. Um, you know, not future telling, but forth telling, just simply speaking for God. I mean, I know what happens. People think of people like me. They say, well, you're the preacher. You do that, you know, and, and yeah, that's true. It's just there's so much more to it. There's not one of you here. If you have God's spirit within you, then you are one of these people who will speak for God. That's you. And it doesn't matter where you go, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It doesn't matter kind of, you know, what circles you move in. You're the witness there. You're the representative there. You're the person who speaks for God in that place to those people. That's you. And I'd really like for you to embrace that motivation today. It might scare you, but that's okay. You may think, well, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not, I'm not good enough to do this. Uh, who am I to do this? I'm just telling you that's what God said about you. 
You, no one else has to qualify you. No one else has to say, you're, you're okay now, go ahead. Nothing. I used to serve a church in Lynn Haven, Panama City, that area. Everybody knows Panama City, but it was actually a Lynn Haven address. Church got hit by the hurricane a few weeks ago. Half the building's gone, but the sanctuary is still there. And I saw some pictures of it the other day, and, and it was the first Sunday. It was two Sundays after the hurricane, and they were having a service there. And someone had snapped a picture, you know, inside that sanctuary, and it was just, it did my heart good to see that it was still there, you know. And I said, they still have those same orange pews. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> same orange pews. But people were in them, and they didn't have power, but they were having a service. And, and whoever, whoever took the picture, they were in the pew where I used to sit at length with a man named John Bedwell. That's where they took the picture from. I was like, I know that view. I know that exact spot where they are. And that's where me and John used to sit on Monday nights and we would talk about all kinds of things. And what, what John wanted to talk about more than anything was how he didn't feel qualified to talk to anybody about Jesus. That was his big fear. He was probably 65, 67, somewhere in that range. And uh, he loved to ride motorcycles and he had been sick and, you know, he had a colostomy bag. You know, I mean, that was just kind of his health condition. But he would show up and, uh, and he would talk with me. And on Monday nights, we'd, we'd go out. Anybody who had visited our church on Sunday and was kind enough to fill out a card, we'd go by and just kind of take them a gift and say hello or whatever. And John would do that, okay? But he did not want to do it without me. He was like, it's okay if I do it with you. I can't do it without you. Why not, John? You're nice. You smile at people. You don't scare, I scare people more than you do. It's okay, John. But he, he always felt that he wasn't qualified. That he, he, he was afraid someone's going to ask me a question and I won't, be a good, I won't be able to give an answer and therefore I won't be a good witness. And I kept saying to John, John, you can't mess this up. You can't. I said, because what what's going to happen if they ask me a question I can't answer, John? You know what I'm going to say? I don't have the answer to that. <laughs> and that happens to me a lot. I mean, yeah, I have some answers. Yeah, I've studied this book a lot, and I might can give you some direction as to where to look in this book for things, but I don't have the answers to everything. And when people throw things at me that I don't know, I'm just fine with saying I don't know that. I'm happy to talk with you about it. I'm happy to try to understand it more. I'm happy to pray about it with you. We can, you know, work on this together, together, but I don't have all the answers. I have the same thing that John had, just the indwelling spirit. That's it. And, you know, John went to heaven a few years ago, and, and I still think about him, and I still talk about him when these things come up. Because to me, he's the classic person. He's the one that will always and forever in my mind, he'll be etched in my mind as the guy who kept saying to me, I can't do this because I'm not qualified and I don't know enough. And I just want to say to anyone who thinks that you are qualified, you don't have to know enough, you have God's spirit, that's what makes it enough. That's what makes you okay. I mean, do you think God's going to put you somewhere where you won't know the answer? Well, you're going, yeah, he might. And you're right, he might. <laughs> But it's okay. He will take care of it. Having the answer is not the most important thing. Knowing the one who is the answer is the most important thing. And that's what you do. That's what you bring. You bring the presence of God, the message of God, wherever it is you go. And then you trust that God can take it from there. 
that he can handle it. All right, one last thing here. This is just kind of a way of summing up everything. What that scripture in Acts chapter 2, 14 to 21, what it's talking about is this right here. That God's spirit, through God's people, will bring God's ideas, God's message to the world. It's that simple. If you want to know what we're doing here today, that's it. It's God's spirit through you, bringing his ideas and his message to the world around us. We have to be open to that. We have to say yes to that. So in just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to pray. I'm going to just play some music over here, and I want you to have a few moments to respond to God about that. This is what I would encourage you to do. Just simply say yes. Just make yourself available. Just simply, in your own words, say some kind of prayer that says, God, I'm here, and, and I don't know what you can do with me or with my life, but I'm here, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. Your spirit's within me, so I believe that, and I'm just going to ask you to do whatever you want to do through my life. I'm going to give you today. I'm going to give you this week. I'm going to give you the rest of my life. You pray something like that in your own way. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. You have spoken to us in your word and you ensured that this message that's over 2,000 years old, it still applies to us today and it speaks to who we are and what we're doing here. And God, for every person in this room today, I pray they'll say yes to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.